morning. Welcome to Gap Hill Church of God. How is everyone doing today? Let's stand together. Open up with this great, wonderful hymn. Great is thy faithfulness. It's amazing in this world as bad as it is and as, as unsure as we are about everything, we can depend upon God, can't we? Amen. Let's sing this hymn together. Him. We bless you, O oh Lord. We praise you, O oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's good to have Brother Larry with us today. Brother Larry Anderson will be speaking with, for us today with the word. Pastor has gone on vacation this week. So as soon as music is finished, he'll be up here preaching the word. So worship with him as he continues after the music today. We waited for this day 
for your blood right now that covers everything, forgives a multitude of sins. And we thank you and we praise you, oh God. We pray you pour your spirit out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's lift them together, church. Hallelujah. Your blood is a rescue to the sin-stained life. Your blood is a healing 
together, church. Glorify the Lord. We lift you and magnify you, O Lord. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift him up together. Hallelujah. We lift you up, O Lord Jesus. singing the songs, I was mixed because I've been struggling for months with three subjects, three titles for messages for you today. Pastor Purdue called me several months ago and asked me to be here today and I, of course, conceded to be here. I did send him a text. He sent me a text and asked me and I said, I'm supposed to be there? Sort of scared him a little bit, but he'd be looking forward to it. But the three messages, one was about the glory of God saying about the glory of God. The second one was about the blood of Christ. God gave me a revelation this year at, at uh, the Good Friday service about the blood of Christ I've never seen before in all my ministry, and I, I felt like I needed to share an Easter message, but God wouldn't let me do that either. But the third message was one that deals with, as you'll see this morning, this, this message today, this in this song. And I don't know who you are or what you're going through, but if you need peace in your life today, you're at the right place. If you need to find something that settles, something that's transpiring in your life, you're at the right place. And God's going to touch you. And I want you to open your spirit now to receive what God has to share with you today. So let's sing that one more time. And as you're singing it, if you need peace, say, God, I want to leave here with that peace in my heart today. Can we sing it together? Oh,
now would you lay one hand upon your own chest and would you point another hand toward me and would you pray for God to touch you and me today in this message. Father, I pray that you would touch me today, that I will share and say that, that you wish for me to share and say not what Larry wants to say, but what you through your spirit wants to say. You know every heart, you know every person, you know every situation here. And God, you've prepared this day. It just didn't happen. This day is a special day prepared for me to be here and for this congregation to be here. And I pray through that experience, through your foreknowledge of knowing that you will use your spirit to speak to hearts today in a special way. And that you do and that is accomplished, we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. For we ask it in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Turn to someone and say, I'm going to help him preach. Are you? And you can be seated if you can. Amen. Thank you. Brian, for the message, the music today, and all this praise team. Don't you appreciate your musicians and your singers and all that they do? And, you know, you, sometimes we don't realize all that's involved in the work that's in, that they do to prepare just for one service. But um, I, I, I know that they are, they're going to do a, they've done a great job and will continue. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you today, open them to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 in the Old Testament. And while you are turning, just let me say thank you for to Pastor Perdue and Jennifer. I know they'll be watching the service. And there are others I know today that are on vacation watching the service. But you are here and you're in service. Amen? Amen. God bless you. But I, I just felt like sharing a message today that I've entitled, What to Do on the Worst Day of Your Life. Now that sounds like a depressing, sad title. But if you'll stay with me, you'll see that it's not. But how many of you have had some bad days in your life? One, two, three. Oh, almost more hands coming up. Yeah, we've had some bad days in our life. I mean, some real bad days. Let, let me share with you a little story I found. It's actually a children's book. Some of you that are teachers and work in the school may have read or heard of this book before. But it's, it's written by a lady by the name of Judith Voris. And the title of the, the little book is Alexander the Terrible, and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Listen to this. I went to sleep last night with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal. Nick found a junior undercover agent ring in his cereal box. In my breakfast cereal box, there was nothing but breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mears Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat near the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mears Dickens looked at Paul's picture of the sailboat and liked it much better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I was too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out the number 16. Who needs 16 anyway? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said he wasn't my best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moyo was his second best friend and I was his third best friend. I hope you sit on attack, I told Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. <laughs> there are two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul, Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll with little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to pack dessert? It's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. 
That's what it was because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity only in my tooth. Come back next week and I'll fix it, Dr. Fields said. Not me. I'm going to be in Australia next week. <laughs> on the way downstairs from the doctor to the, on the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And then I, was start, I started crying because of the mud. And Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for calling me a crybaby, my mama came back with a car and scolding me for being muddy and fighting. <laughs> I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody, but nobody answered. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some Snickers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the shoe man came and said, we're all sold out of those. They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at the office, he said I couldn't play with his copy machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on the desk. And I was extremely careful, except for my elbow, he also said, don't fool around with my phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't ever pick me up again. It's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner. I hate lima beans. There was kissing on the TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain. And I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. And I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep. And the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. The cat won't even sleep with me. He's sleeping with Anthony. It is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But mom said days are just like that sometimes, even in Australia. Sometimes we have terrible, no good, very bad days. And I'm going to read a, a text today from a man, about a man called David where he was having the worst day of his life to this point in his life. Let me give you a little background. The last part of the book of Samuel is dealing with David as he is in transition from going from the hillside of Judea as a shepherd, working with King Saul, moved up in the ranks as he was anointed to become king. And through the book of 1 Samuel, David is not king. David is, is working with Saul, but has been chased by Saul and even run away by Saul. And you know the story of how David spared Saul's life a couple of times. And, and, and David is on the run. And David flees from Judah and from under Saul's direction, and he winds up with the Philistines, who was the enemy. David killed the giant, the Philistine giant, but he's now with the Philistines. And the Philistines give him a little place of land down in the, the southern part of the kingdom called Ziklag. And that became David's home. And he hadn't been there long, and I'm sure it was a tent city. It was not a fortified city, but it was a temporary place. But David and the 600 men that were following him and their wives and their children and their families had all moved to this little place called Ziklag. And David is now supporting the Philistines who are helping him, and the Philistines are wanting to go to war against Jerusalem, against the, the tribes of Jerusalem. And the kings of Philistines said, no, David, you can't go because you'll defect and you'll kill us instead of killing them. So they, they, they were in this discussion, so they left to go to battle and sent David back to Ziklag. And when David got back to Ziklag, here's where we are in 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. 
and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in his God. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. A few minutes ago, I asked you if you'd had some bad days. Can you remember, I'm not asking for you to raise a hand or respond, but can you remember the worst day of your life to this point in your life? Can you remember the worst experience you've had? I can, but I, I don't want to talk about it because it hurts me to talk about it because it was a very heart-wrenching experience. I'll guarantee you most of those heavy experiences dealt somewhere around family, either providing for family or with a spouse or a child or something, it, it, more than likely it dealt with something with your family just like it does here. But we've all had some terrible bad days as little Alexander had, but even worse. David is having the worst day of his life. The day when it seemed like everything had passed, all reason had gone, all sensitivity of life was failing, but David was facing a difficult time. He had gone through some difficult times. He was a young man here. When you study, study, do this study, David is somewhere around 30 years of age at this time. He's never been king yet. He's never been king of Judah. He's never been king of Jerusalem. He is still in preparation. So it's one of the first things that he faces. This prepares him and helps him for his, his leadership as king for 40 years after this. But David is now in that preparation phase. But David had faced some challenges. He had faced the lion and the bear on the hillside with his father's sheep. He had faced Goliath with the stones when he went down where the Philistines were fighting Jerusalem and Saul and went out to, to defeat Goliath. That David had been, had, had, been, uh, uh, had been attacked by King Saul and, and actually tried to be killed by many others because of his strength and his notoriety being, being risen. They would cry out, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands because God's anointing was on David, and so everyone was after him, even at a young age. But David had never faced anything that compared with the terrible day David faced here at Ziklag. Perhaps some of you right now, today, are facing what seems to be one of the worst experiences of your life. You may be going through something that you never thought you would go through or never realized you'd ever be where you are. If that's you, then just stay with me. You're going to hear it. If it's not you, you're going to be there. So stay with me so you'll be prepared. There are a lot of bad days. As a pastor, I've dealt with some very difficult things in my life. And I was thinking as I was putting this message together, one of the worst experiences I've had as a pastor, and I, I thought of three real quickly. I, I guess one of the worst ones was when dealing with the, a, a person who's lost their spouse, the death of a spouse, and, and the, the bearing of that spouse, and all that goes with the, the loss of a spouse, how terrible that was. I guess the second most difficult thing I've dealt with is the loss of a child. They say a child should never pass before we as parents pass, and thank God I've never experienced that. Some of you have, but, but the, the loss of a child and seeing a father and mother weeping over the loss of a child and declaring, I wish I had have died instead of they had died. But I guess the worst experience I've dealt with as a child that I've seen, as a pastor, seen people deal with is a, a, a lady, a couple of times, women coming in, mothers with children who come to report that a father has said, I'm leaving and I'm divorcing you and I'm leaving you with these children and seeing that mother distraught in her life almost snapped away and her reason for living it almost gone and seeing the hurt and the sorrow and the pain that was there. And I guess that's the closest I can see to what David was going through on the worst day of his life. Thank God I've never personally experienced either one of those. I'll be long dead. These nights live forever. Sharon will be going on and looking for another husband while I'm in glory somewhere. But, but, but anyway... I, <laughs> I probably never, hope I never experienced any of these things in life. 
but they are bad things. And you may have gone through bad things in your life. If not, you will. But the thing is, what will we do when we face those bad, terrible times in our life? I'm going to give you four quick points. You can write them down, right on the edge of your Bible, so your kids and grandkids can read it sometime. But the first thing you can do is do what David did, and that is cry. Nothing wrong with crying. Men, ladies, can you say amen? We're coming up close to Father's Day. There's nothing wrong with men crying. Sometimes when men think, well, I ain't going to cry. I can handle it. Then we go out to the barn and we cry when no one's looking. But, but the truth is, men ought to cry. Here in our text, then David and the people who were with him lifted their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Look at who they are. The women and the children are all gone. All that there is here is David, who is their leader, and 600 warriors who were with him. All it was was men, and they cried till they could cry no more. Sometimes when things are heavy, all you can do is cry, and there's nothing wrong with that. God gave us that emotion. And before you can really begin to do anything else about it, you've got to face it in your own self, and you've got to weep and mourn over it and cry and recognize it like David did. You know, all through Scripture, people have cried. Abraham cried when his wife died in Genesis chapter 23. Joseph wept. When, he, when his brothers came back to him there in Egypt in Genesis 45. Job wept in the midst of all of his trials, he cried. Peter wept in Matthew 26 when he heard the, the rooster crow the third time because he remembered what Jesus had said. We need to recognize there's nothing wrong with crying. And when you're facing a difficult time, cry. Can I get an amen? amen. If you don't cry by weeping tears, just moan and groan or do something, but let the expressions come. Don't bottle it up. You'll explode. And they all cried, including David. Ecclesiastes, though, says there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. What's that saying? But you can't cry forever. you got to face it. You may cry, but you can't cry forever. Forever. Everyone will experience a night of weeping, but the scripture says, but joy can come in the morning. Secondly, refuse to become bitter. Underline this one. Refuse to become bitter. One of the first things that people do when they face bad situations that have been caused by others or situations in their life is they become bitter against those who made those things become bad in their life. It's easy. It's the natural response. It's what I want to do. You hit me, I want to hit you back. You talk bad about me, I want to talk bad about you. Now come on, you can say amen or grunt if you want, but I know exactly what you're thinking. If you hurt my kids, you better watch out. I'm going to hurt you. You know, that, that, that is the natural response that men or women have is we respond back through bitterness, through judgment, through our own understanding. But you cannot find the solution and the help you need if you're wallowing in bitterness and you're letting bitterness control. David was distressed. It said in verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. Now, distress means you're upset, you're distraught, you're troubled, you're anxious, but nowhere do you find a, a, an answer or a definition of distress being bitterness. Close, but not there. David was upset. But David's men, the 600, were bitter. It says in verse 6, for the people, those 600, spake of stoning David. They said, David, you took us on a wild goose chase up there with the Philistines to be in a parade. In fact, you know, we watch on TV and we see how China and all these other countries have these parade of soldiers. They were having a parade of soldiers, and David and his men were at the end of that parade, had to wait till it all happened until thousands of Philistines passed by, the king of the Philistines. And then they said, David, you took us up there and made a, made a, a fool out of us, and they sent us back, and while we were up there, they came and stole our wives and our children and burned our city, we just ought to kill you because you caused it. We followed you. It's easy to blame somebody else. It's easy when you're going through a difficult time to say it's somebody else's problem and sometimes it is others' problem. But it doesn't give us a reason to be bitter about it. They talked about stoning him, but bitterness 
prevents God from intervening in your situation. When a person chooses to walk in forgiveness, he stays connected to God's grace. But when a person fails to forgive and falls short of the glory and grace of God, he cuts off God's protection and God's ability to work in their life. Ephesians says, let not bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from, let all be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's sake forgave you. Now that's hard to read and believe when you're going through a difficult day. But if you're going to get victory over it after you've cried, after you've realized that it happened, don't be bitter. Recognize there's help if you'll look for that help long enough. And David did not become bitter. bitter. Bitterness has a root. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. We like that and we want to stop there, but there's a colon there. It's not over. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up because of trouble, and by this many become defiled. You've got to be careful. When bad things happen, don't become bitter. You haven't got to like it. You can cry about it. You can be distressed over it. You can, you can talk to someone about it, but don't become bitter because bitterness stops the flow of God's grace to you. Recognize and know I've got to allow God to work in my life. Can you say amen? amen. Thirdly, encourage yourself in the Lord. Now, verse 6 says, the last part of the verses of the text I read said, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now look, David has come back to Ziklag. The place has been burned to the ground. Every tent they had in that little, little city is gone. Their wives are gone. Their children are gone. All their possessions is gone. All that's there is a bunch of ashes. And all that's around David is 600 men who are weeping and mad and ready to stone him because their wives and children are all gone. And David is there, and in the midst of that, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. It doesn't matter what you are facing. It doesn't matter how heavy it is. If you will look to God and encourage yourself in him, he will hear you when you call on him. Well, hallelujah. David changed the focus through praise and worship. He did not feel like singing, but he sang anyway. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make, him, make boast of the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together in the midst of the worst day of his life. He sang of deliverance and victory, even though he's been defeated. Psalm 18, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all those who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Is it, it is God who arms me and strengthens me and makes my way perfect. In the midst of difficulty, David said, I can't do anything about it. I can't fix it. I can't solve this problem. But all I can do is go to the one who can solve the problem and believe and trust in him and believe that he can do it and encourage myself in the power of the Lord. Sometimes... You just have to encourage yourself. Amen. Your husband or wife has got the mother grubs and saying it's never been like this before. Your kids are saying poor mama, poor daddy, or, the, or daddy and mama saying poor kid or poor daughter. But you've got to sometimes stop and say, no, I've got to recognize I don't understand why I'm here, but I know who holds my hand and I know who will go with me in the midst of the difficulty I'm facing on the worst, worst day of my life. Yeah. Fourthly, Seek God for guidance. Sounds like a repeat of what I just said, but you'll see the difference. Verses 7 and 8, Then David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, Please bring the Ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the Ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? 
shall I overtake them? Now, I did a little research on the Afad. With a lot of things we see on TV today, we think Afad is some kind of something you put over your head and you cover yourself with and go into a corner somewhere. It could be that. But if you'll study, it's more like a vesture. It's more like the, the kind of, of garment that the priest put on when he went into the Holy of Holies. Go do some research on it. And I don't know which one, but I would think it's more close to that. And David called Abimelech, who was the, the, the priest, and he said, bring me the ephod. And I, I think it's that because that's what the priest wore. And David put that on to go into God's presence in the right kind of presentation way. Now, I don't have time to spend a lot of time here, but sometimes I think we go into God's presence not dressed correctly. Sometimes I think we go into God's presence like we ought to be going to a ball game. Is this on? You might ought to turn me up just a little. I, I, they can, you can hear me back there? Okay, good. Sometimes I think we try to go into God's presence when we should be I'm not going to say what I was going to say. But you know what I'm saying. But anywhere in Scripture where you find people prepare for God's presence, they get ready to get into God's presence. That was part of that message on the glory that I'll preach the next time I come, maybe. But David put on the affide. When you want to get advice, call a friend. But when you want to get direction, call on God. And, and so David puts on the affide and goes into the, into the presence of the Lord. And, and he, he presents himself as, as, as holy as he could, knowing he was going to the presence of a holy God, to ask God for direction and for help in his life. And when he went, he went into the God's presence and he asked God for direction. And God heard him. And in verse 8, and God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Wow. God told David that. Apparently, while he's still at Ziklag with the smoke rising from the city and 600 men around him, you know, ready to stone him, but David hears from God, and God says, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You know, the world doesn't understand us when we go into work and we're facing a difficult situation and we've got a smile on our face and we've got joy in our heart. They don't understand us at school and other places when we're facing terrible things and somehow we've got a countenance of belief on our face, but somehow we know that it's all in God's hands. And God has it in control. And we know that whatever the end result will be is going to be what God desires it to be. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So David now, upon God's direction, goes after the Amalekites. I read and studied. I couldn't find anywhere that told me how many are the number of the warriors of the Amalekites were. But everywhere else in Scripture that I found the Amalekites, they were multiple thousands of them. They were one of the large groups that the children of Israel saw when the spies went over to check out, check out the Promised Land. The Amalekites were one of the largest groups that were there. They were a large number of people. I can guarantee you this. It was a lot more than the 600 men that David had to go take back what they had taken away. But David leaves Ziklag with the 600 men, and they start to go after the Amalekites. They get down to the brook Bezor, which is a little, little distance, a few miles, 20, 30 miles from where they are. 200 of the men are so weak they can't even walk. So David leaves 200 men at Bezor, and 400 men now continue on, and you know they've got to be weak. They continue on to fight against the Amalekites to take back what God had promised them they would have. While they're on their way, they find this, this, this man out in the field, and he comes, they, they bring him to David, and they ask the man who he was. He, said, he was an Egyptian, and he said, I, I am one of the servants of one of the Amalekites, and he said, three days ago, I became deathly ill, and my owner said I wasn't worth taking on the journey, so he left me out here in the field to die, and you've come along, and you've saved me. They gave him some figs, and they gave him some, some water, and they gave him some food. And the man come alive, and David talked to him a while, and David said, well, where are the Amalekites? 
And here this, this servant said, well, he told them where they were, told them where they were camped, told them what they were doing. And so David didn't have to go hunting for the Amalekites. He and the 400 men went to where the Amalekites were and in a matter of a few hours had taken back all of their wives, their children, their possessions, and all the spoils the Amalekites had because they had taken over many other cities in the south. So David now has a whole lot more blessings and a whole lot more stuff than he had when he started, and it all happened because of something the enemy threw away. Did you get that? The enemy threw away the servant, but the servant brought the victory. Sometimes the enemy throws things away, but it's all part of God's plan to bring victory into your life. When the difficult times come, those things that seem like, why did this happen and why is it the way it is? It could be the very thing God is using to set you up for the best day of your life, not the worst day of your life. Hallelujah. The drunk in the, in the gutter and, and the bar, when he's brought to Christ, you know what he does? He goes back to the bar to find some other drunks and bring them to Christ. The drug addict on Skid Row, when he finds Christ, you know what he does? He goes and tells others so they can find Christ and brings them to him. Those that are hurting, those that are going through divorce and difficulties in their life, once they found the grace of God, they reach out to help others to bring peace and, and help into their life. Those that are facing sickness and disease and the doctor has said, you have an incurable disease that somehow the hand of God comes in and brings healing and deliverance in their life. They're the ones I want praying for me when I go through sickness because the devil will take those things that he meant for evil and turn them for good and bring victory into God. God's people, if we'll let him, oh hallelujah. And David had that happen for him. This servant who was thrown out to die led David and his men right to victory, and they brought the victory back. You know, if you continue to read in David's life, read on in the book of 2 Samuel and 1st and 2 Kings, and you study David's life, this was a great turning point for David. Even though it was the worst day of his life he had faced then, he faced some other difficult days. But I'll guarantee you every time he faced them, he remembered Ziklag. And he remembered how everything was gone. All, my, all of my possessions and all of our family was gone. But he remembered God said, I'm going to give it back, and God gave it back. Let me tell you, when you're going through some difficult times of life, remember where you used to be. Remember what you have been through. Remember where you've come from. And remember and know that the God that brought you through victory then will bring you through victory now and carry you through safely to the other side. And take what God has given you to bless somebody else and to help them. Give the Lord a hand. Clap. While I was... State Youth Director in Blytheville, Arkansas. I'm getting ready to close. Help me close here. I was State Youth Director in Blytheville, Ar in Arkansas. I, on a Sunday, I went up to preach in a little church, good size church, about the size of this one, in Blytheville, Arkansas, where Walmart started, I think. And while we were there on a Sunday morning, the church was about full. And th there was a a guy came in, he sat, I think on the third row, about, about where you're sitting, my brother. And he said, no direction to you. He didn't smell too good. You smell all right. <laughs> he had hair way down his back. Yours looks, looks better than mine. He uh, didn't seem to know what to do during service. Very fidgety and erratic. I don't remember what I preached, but I remember when it came the time for prayer that he jumped up, ran to the altar, and began to pray. We gathered around him and prayed. We didn't know his name. I still don't remember his name. We prayed for him, and he came up looking different than he went down. You know how that story is. He came up acting different than he did when he knelt down. Then he told us the story. There were several people on the altar and the pastor wanted to testify and he testified. He said, I'm homeless. He said, I live in the building down 
town. He told the name of the building. I didn't know, but everybody in the church knew what it was. He said, we pulled back a piece of tin on the edge of that building, and we've all crawled in there. And there's a bunch of us, and we're, we're, we're living in the back of that building. And we all, this is years ago. This is 35 years. This is before we knew much about homeless people. You remember that? Well, we prayed with them. I gave him some money to buy some lunch, and we did what we could to help this, this, this man. He must have been in his 20s or so. And we had service again that night, and I came back to preach that night. He was in the same spot, but he wasn't by himself. The whole row was lined up with those folks that were in that homeless shelter or homeless building with him. He went back. And he said, you know, I was having a terrible day. He said, the Lord touched me at that little church over there. And you need to come and find out what could happen to you. And he brought the whole clan. It really didn't smell good that night, but it didn't matter. They all prayed that night. I, I don't know what happened in their life, but that which was the worst day of his life became the best day of his life. In fact, he testified, I was planning to commit suicide tomorrow, so I thought I would come to church today. But he didn't. Because God worked in his life, and not just in his life, in others' lives. What are you saying, Pastor? When you're going through the worst day of your life, God has a whole lot more in mind than you. When Ziglag was burned, David and the 600 men recovered all they had. Can you imagine what those 600 men were thinking then? Talking about revival. All because David said, I'm going to give my soul to the Lord. I'm going to call upon God for direction. And God said, if you'll go after them, I'm going to give it all back to you. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know how bad it may be or how bad it's been. You may be still dealing with something that has been going on for years in your life and you've never dealt with it because bitterness has come in. And you're angry with someone because they mistreated you, said something or did something or divorced you. Or and you're carrying this stuff inside and you're, you're just like those men of David. Just had a chance, I'd just wipe them out. That's not going to solve it. The only salvation is going to come is when you strengthen yourself in the Lord. And say, I'm going to sing, even though I don't feel like singing. I'm going to believe in God's power, even though things around me tell me that it's not going to work. And say, I'm going to strengthen myself in God and call on God for guidance and find the help that only He can bring. Stand with me all over this place. Would you bow your heads? Father, I love you today. And I thank you because I know that even on the worst days of our lives, you still have us right in the palm of your hand. Father, I don't know what individuals in this sanctuary may be facing today, but I do know this one thing. You don't care any less for us than you did for David. And you desire to be a direction and a blessing and strength in our lives, just like you were in the life of David. And for that man or that woman, that young man or that young lady, I pray that somehow your spirit and power would speak to their hearts now and help them to know that their strength and their help, their peace comes from you, not from us. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, please keep your head bowed for just a moment because I want this to be a private matter and I'm not going to embarrass anyone that responds, I promise you. Behind me would say, Pastor, I, I believe God gave this message just for me. Just let me see your hand. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. Just raise your hand and put it. God bless you, sir. 
Just raise it and put it down if you'd like. You can hold it up if you don't have to, but just raise your hand. Let me see it. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Is there another? Father, you saw these hands this morning, and you know what to do in their lives. And I pray, oh God, that if there's any root of bitterness, it would be moved aside, and that your power and your strength and your help would come and touch them in a special way. God, I'm believing you're going to do it now, for I ask it in the name of Jesus for his glory. I want us to sing this little chorus. You can look up now. I want us to sing this little chorus a time or two, and here's what I want to do in this, this altar experience. If somehow God is speaking to you and you're facing something in your life or maybe you have and you need to get past it, would you make one step just to come here and stand? And I want to challenge the prayer warriors. I want prayer warriors to come. But I want to challenge you not to ask them what it's about. All I want you to do is lay your hand on their shoulder and believe with them that God is going to bring the victory. Can we do that in their life? If that's you while we sing it, would you just come? Then we're going to be dismissed real quickly, but let's sing it. Oh, peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above sweep over my spirit forever I pray in fathomless billows of love sing it now peace, peace. Father we love you God Coming down from the Father say it one more time and I'm not trying to force anyone but if God is speaking to you you'll find strength when others are agreeing with you in that prayer and we're going to sing it one more time or maybe two and if it's you come and join this dear sister that's here and we'll pray with you and believe that God is going to bring the victory in your life just like he did for David because he will if you'll let him sing it again now oh peace Wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray. In fathomless billows of love. One more time now. Wonderful peace coming down from the Father above.
doesn't always give everything back in his answer. David, a few years later, after he'd become king over Israel, his son from Bathsheba, the wife that he loved, got sick and died. David did the same thing. He lamented. He cried. He called on God and he sought God that his son would live. But the son died. But David still encouraged himself in the Lord and said, God, you've got a purpose. You've got a plan. You know, even though it's not what I wanted, I can accept what you want. And I'm going to go forward. Sometimes we ask God to bless what we want. Rather than saying, God, what are you going to help, help take place in my life? And when we get to that point, the bitterness goes away. The questions go away. And we know that God is in control. Amen? Praise the Lord. Turn to someone and say, I'm going to have an awesome, wonderful, super-duper, whooper-whopper day. And we'll see you on Wednesday night to worship. God bless you. Thanks for being in church.